Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. American meat delivered right to your front door. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, guys. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably tell that I am coming to you from my home. And if you are listening to this on audio, as most of you do, it probably sounds a little bit different. And that is because I've got my little home setup, my home microphone. So thanks for bearing with me. Just a different scheduling things going on in the Stucky household. And we had to kind of accommodate all of that. And so I still wanted to make sure though, that I got this episode out because we have so many important things to talk about today. It's really one important thing, but there are so many different aspects of it. As you probably predicted, we are going to talk about the Buffalo shooting and the reactions to that and how to respond to that and how to think through that. These are always very difficult episodes to do. Um, because we are dealing with such a sensitive issue and because, unfortunately, there are such polarizing and political reactions through it that we have to balance remembering that this is a human tragedy with a human cost. These are image bearers of God. There are people over the weekend who heard the worst news that they could ever imagine. Their worst nightmares came true. And yet we do have an obligation, especially in the job that I'm in, to navigate through the politics of it and to talk about some of the background and some of the context and possible solutions. And so there's practical matters to dig through. There are political issues to talk about. And then first and foremost, there is a there's a there's a personal, there's a deeply personal, primarily personal uh, core aspect to all of this. And then of course there is the much bigger and much more important and supreme aspect to that. And that is the theological implications, the spiritual issues that I think this speaks to. So I'm going to do my best as humbly as I can, as thoroughly as I can, as truthfully, as mercifully as I possibly can to try to tie together all of those aspects in a way that I hope brings honor to the victims and comfort to the families and to everyone who is mourning this and also hopefully glory to God and his gospel. That's what that's really what all Christians are trying to do as we respond to terrible situations like this. So first, just let me tell you what happened over the weekend, and then we'll talk a little bit more about um, the context. So According to AP News, there was a supermarket shooting in Buffalo, New York over the weekend. They start out the article like this. A white 18-year-old wearing military gear and live streaming with a helmet camera opened fire Saturday afternoon at Topps Friendly Market. That's a supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood of Buffalo, New York. So he live streamed the shooting, which is just sickening. It, It just gives me physical pain to think about someone trying to gain affirmation and attention, trying to become some sort of hero through such a a devastating and wicked act. So he live streamed this on Twitch for several minutes before the platform took it down. That is a pattern that we seem to see in some of these um, 
live shooting scenarios. He began shooting in the parking lot before moving inside. There was a security guard, a very courageous security guard, thank God for his courage, that fired multiple shots. His name was Aaron Salter. He fired multiple shots, but none of them penetrated the body armor of the shooter. And the shooter ended up killing Salter. And then he walked around the store shooting shoppers. He put uh, his rifle to his neck when confronted by the police. But then he ended up surrendering after being coaxed by the cops to do so. The rifle reportedly was purchased legally, but the magazines were illegally purchased, apparently, in New York. And I won't say the perpetrator's name. And, you know, I go back and forth on this. There have been previous mass shootings and mass killings where I have talked about the name of the shooter in this particular case, as in some other similar cases. This person seems to want fame. He seems to want to go down in history as some kind of perverse hero. And so I don't want to I, I don't want to add to that. I, I don't want to add to any fantasy that he or others like him may have that he is going to become a hero or that his name at least is going to gain some kind of notor- notoriety. I think even in a lot of cases, they're OK with becoming infamous they see that as a good thing so i don't want to add to that i know if you listen to past episodes sometimes i have said the name of mass shooters maybe without thinking and maybe i shouldn't have and and sometimes i don't in this case after thinking about it i just don't want to i'm sure that you can look it up if that's something that you want to do i just don't want to give voice uh to any kind of you know fantasy or desire that he may have to be famous so uh, this is this is a description, again, according to the Associated Press, a law enforcement official told the Associated Press on Sunday um, that the shooter had threatened to carry out a shooting last year at uh, Susquehanna. Susquehanna, I think that's how maybe you pronounce it, Valley High School around the time of graduation. He was 17 years old at the time and was sent for mental health treatment. So there were 10 killed in the shooting. There were three injured. 11 were black, two were white. And that is pertinent as we're going to talk about there is a pretty clear uh motivation at least it seems so of this shooter and so it actually matters to talk about the races of the victims. so 11 black victims two white victims and we'll just we'll go through the names of these victims um at least some of them the ones that we have there was aaron salter we've already referenced him he was the security guard apparently according to the mayor he was really beloved by this community he was a retired buffalo police department officer and member of uh he was a you know a renowned or an esteemed member of the community he cared about the community. He looked after the store. Local resident Yvette Max said he's a true hero. There could have been more victims if not for his actions. Buffalo Police Commissioner Joseph Gramaglia said and that's true. Even though the bullets that the security guard shot didn't ultimately penetrate the body armor that the shooter was wearing, he obviously did deter him. He did slow him down and he sacrificed this police officer sacrificed himself for the safety of the store. That is a kind of courage, a kind of bravery that I think most of us just couldn't muster. Even in these kinds of situations, we are so naturally self-seeking. We are so naturally interested in our own protection that I, I think most of us just would not have that instinct. And so praise God for this police officer. Praise God for his heroism. I hope that his name 
is plastered everywhere. I hope that he goes down as the hero that he is and not this cowardly shooter. And then there was Ruth Whitfield. She was an 86-year-old mother of retired uh, Buffalo Fire Commissioner. She had just visited her husband at the nursing home. She did that daily, had stopped for some groceries. Um, uh, her son said that she was a mother to the motherless, so just a very kind and compassionate, giving person. There was Roberta Drury, 32 years old, recently returned home to live with her mother. Her mother saw her daughter die on the video that circulated after the shooting. Can you even imagine? There was a woman named Catherine Massey. There is a man named Haywood Patterson. He was loading an elderly woman's groceries into his car and driving her home. He was a deacon at his church. There was an unnamed man who was picking up a birthday cake to surprise his grandson. And then uh, one of the injured people was Zare Goodman, 20-year-old, shot in the neck. Thank God he is recovering. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the human impact of this, the sacrifice of this in just one second. Let me pause and tell you about our first sponsor of the day. You know, it's not always easy to transition into the sponsors, but it's important that we do. This is the reason why you guys get to listen to this show for free. And I'm very thankful to our sponsors for that. But it's not always smooth to kind of take a pause and talk about them. Nevertheless, I will tell you about truly one of my favorite sponsors because I use them every day, pretty much every minute of every day. And that is ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is the VPN I use to protect my online privacy. You know, these companies, uh, the biggest ones, the, the biggest free services that you can think of, email services, search engines, they are actually taking your data, what you search for, what you talk about in your emails, and they are selling them to third parties. That's how they make money. That's why we get to use their services for free. So your privacy just isn't protected, including your location. Your internet service provider can also access all this information unless you are using a VPN. Your VPN anonymizes everything that you are doing online. It protects your location. It protects your privacy. And that's just something that I think that everyone should care about. ExpressVPN is super easy to use. You can use it on all of your devices, up to five devices. My entire family uses it. We've got it on our computers, on our phones. It's just an app. You create the account, you fire it up. It's always running in the background. It doesn't affect the speed of your internet or anything like that. And it's just another layer of security and comfort for us knowing that we have um, that bit of protection that really works on our devices. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash Don't forget to use my link so you can get three extra months of this service for free. That's expressvpn.com slash That's expressvpn.com slash So this shooter allegedly wrote this manifesto. It was a Google Doc that was circulating. Of course, it violated Google's terms of service. And it also violated Twitter's terms of service to post the link to it. So you can't access it anymore. Even some people tried to like, get a duplicate of it and create another Google Doc. It's just not happening. Some people, though, were able to get screenshots of the manifesto. And I, I will say that this has not been confirmed. Uh, it has not been confirmed that this is his manifesto. It's kind of a guess. I think journalists have probably done some digging. And so they think that it is his. It would make sense based on what the shooter was saying on Twitch and some of the stuff that we saw, um, like he had a name carved into 
the gun that he was using that has some correlation to what is being seen in the manifesto. But I do think it's important to say that it hasn't been confirmed. So the things that he talked about that he allegedly this shooter allegedly talks about in the manifesto, um, he talks about like white genocide. He refers to the Waukesha Christmas parade where a black murderer, he takes his SUV and he rams it. He rammed it through the Christmas parade that was in November. Of course, we've talked about that before. He killed six people, including an eight year old boy and the name that was on the rifle on the gun of this Buffalo shooter was actually a name of the victim of an elderly lady that was killed by the killer in Waukesha. And so this guy, apparently, according to his manifesto, thought that white people were being killed. He thinks that white people are being replaced by non-white people. And he talked about that he is a white supremacist. He actually owns that label and that he is racist, he said, because he believes that there are inherent differences in capabilities of the races. He said that he hates Jewish people, that he's okay with Jewish people that are in their own place, but that he personally doesn't like Jewish people. He referred to Jewish people as demons. Um, Of course, there are lots of people. We'll get to this a little bit more in a second. There are lots of people online immediately left wing activists on Twitter saying that this guy is just a Republican. He's just repeating Republican talking points. So sick. And that this is Tucker Carlson's fault because Tucker Carlson talks about demographic changes in the United States. It's a crazy and really disgusting allegation. Tucker Carlson talks a lot about illegal immigration and how the Democrat Party wants to replace the current voter base with immigrants that will vote the same way that they want to vote. And so people are saying that this manifesto is just like what Tucker Carlson says, which actually isn't isn't true. And again, it's a disgusting allegation, a disgusting allegation. And we'll get to more of why it is so hypocritical in just one second. So there are some questions that I guess I don't know this shooter wrote for himself in this manifesto and then answered them. So here are a few of the questions and a few of his answers. One of the questions is, are you a Christian? He said, no, I do not ask God for salvation by faith, nor do I confess my sins to him. I personally believe there is no afterlife. I do, however, believe in and practice many Christian values. Okay, he says the question, are you a fascist? He said, yes, fascism is the only is one of the only political ideologies that will unite whites against the replacers. Since that is what I see calling me a fascist would be accurate. He says, yes, he is a white supremacist. He said, yes, he's a racist. He says, yes, he's an anti-Semite. Um, he said that he doesn't have any um, he says, do you have any ties to other partisans, freedom fighters, ethno soldiers and He lists some people, including Dylan Roof, who, of course, is the murderer, the mass shooter that shot up a Charleston church, a traditionally black Charleston church a few years ago. And then one question, he said, children are always innocent. Do you think that you are a monster for killing innocent? And he said, children of replacers do not stay children. Any invader you kill of any age is one less enemy your children will have to face just awful. It's just sick. I just have a hard time even 
reading this because this ideology and the thinking of this person is so profoundly evil and destructive and his mind has just been warped by this specific kind of racially targeted hatred. And a lot of times I think it's easy for us to say when someone does something like this, well, that person was unwell, that person was mentally ill, they were unstable. But I think we just have to grapple with the reality that yes, that is the case sometimes. Um, it certainly is. I mean, it's hard to understand how someone who thinks coherent thoughts and who is stable would do something like this. But we have to grapple with the reality of evil. We have to grapple with the reality of Romans one, um, that people's mind is deluded by sin. Ephesians two, that all the sons of disobedience are in submission to the prince of the power of the air, the father of lies. We have to realize that sin is the heart of this, that some people, well, a lot of people are truly just evil to the core, that we can't really just give someone a pass, especially based on some kind of political agenda of mental illness. Maybe that's part of it. But really, sin is at the core of this. Evil is at the core of this. So maybe we should just accept the fact, the much scarier fact that maybe he wasn't necessarily mentally ill, but that he really did just have an evil mind and wicked motivations. He talks more in his manifesto, again, the alleged manifesto about black Americans and how he thinks they are innately inferior Jewish Americans. He says that Jews are the biggest problem the Western world has ever had. Section three of the manifesto talks about the problems with East Asian. Section four pertains to Arabs and modern Turks um, and the problems with them and how Western civilization needs to be preserved. It needs to be saved from them. He says this to conservatives. Conservatism is dead. Thank God. He says to leftists, leftism results in a degenerate, hateful society. He says to non-whites on white lands, leave while you still can. As long as the white man lives, you will never be safer. Just again, just like gut wrenching, almost physically heartbreaking. And he also talked about when he was trying to describe his own political views, he said that he does ascribe to left wing authoritarianism, but also called himself a fascist, also called himself an eco fascist white supremacist. And so he's a little bit all over the place. You know, sometimes in these manifestos, it does seem like the desire, which I wouldn't be surprised if that is the motivation here and the motivation of some of these other mass shooters that create these kind of manifestos. If they say a bunch of different things simply to divide, um, they kind of just throw things against the wall that they know is going to incite the right, incite the left so that we will talk about it, so that we will be divided. And so um, we will argue with one another and they probably believe this is going to precipitate uh, the destruction of society even further, which it seems like there is this kind of anarchistic streak in these kinds of hateful mass shooters that want to precipitate uh, anarchy and the destruction of society. Um, let me pause once again, tell you about our second sponsor of the day. Again, just a hard time to do that, but We've just got to take a break and I'll tell you about our second sponsor. And that is my Patriot Supply. So as you guys know, as you guys can tell, even from this episode, there are 
so many unpredictable things going on in the world. We just don't know what the future holds, especially when we look at food shortages and things like that. You just want to make sure that your family is prepared. It's always better to be safe than sorry. My Patriot Supply makes sure that you have the food stowed away that you need in case, God forbid, something crazy happened and you need this kind of uh, food. If you, you can't go out and you can't get the supplies or the food that you need, at least you have something stowed away in your pantry or your laundry room or your closet. Right now, My Patriot Supply is offering $150 off on their three-month emergency food kits. They're in stock. They ship fast. And you need a three-month food kit for each member of your family. You'll enjoy a wide variety of normal meals. This is not bunker food. Uh, to order, save $150. Go to preparewithally.com. Your order ships quickly, arrives in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Go to preparewithally.com. That's preparewithally.com. All right. So it should go without saying, but just to make it perfectly clear, white supremacy is a pernicious and insidious and disgusting an anti-God, anti-Christ ideology that will always bring with it bitterness, division, destruction, and the kind of murderous rage that we see in the Buffalo shooting. I don't know primarily where this stuff is bubbling up, where it's building. There seems to be when it comes to a, a white supremacist motivation for these shootings, it seems to be young white males who are disaffected. They are they feel like they're different. They feel like they're misunderstood. They feel like they need some someone or a group of people who can really empathize with the concerns that they have. This particular guy said that he used to be a communist. So he's been in extremist ideology for a while. He said he was a communist when he was 12. And so he's kind of, I guess, been in the world of extreme political ideology for a while. And they are looking for people who can, I guess, kind of share their fears. And they seem to egg one another on and they seem to foment hate among one another. And they justify violence by basically casting themselves these kind of misunderstood vigilantes. And white supremacy seems to be a common thread and a motivation in some of these um, dark web online online worlds that are attracting these young men who, for whatever reason, already felt isolated, already felt lonely, already felt purposeless, already felt dejected and rejected in some way. And instead of doing what a lot of people do, when you feel that way, they kind of find themselves um, attracted to a radicalism that promises some camaraderie and maybe even heroism and fame and purpose, which is exactly what these, it's exactly what these young men are looking for. That seems to at least be true in this strain, in this particular ideology and these motivations for mass shootings. It seems also like there's a trend of the FBI and law enforcement knowing of these people and like knowing of the threats, knowing that these people have the capacity and maybe even desire to do this. 
the the problem is, and like it's easy to blame the FBI and law enforcement for not doing anything, which I think in some cases is totally legitimate. But also the question is, what can you do? Like there is free speech. You can't necessarily arrest someone for what you think they are going to do. And so that's a problem um, with all of this as well. I think these just the ability and access to the groups that are kind of radicalizing these young men is a problem. And I don't know the exact solution to it. I don't know the exact solution to buying these illegal magazines and someone with this kind of history being able to buy an AR-15. Like you guys know, I am pro second amendment because I care about innocent life. I want people to be able to defend themselves. In fact, in this manifesto, one of the things that the shooter said was that he chose this area of Buffalo, New York, not just because it's predominantly black. That was one reason explicitly why he chose it, according to this manifesto, but also because they have such strict gun laws. He said in his manifesto that he didn't want to be apprehended. He didn't want to be stopped by someone who had a gun. And so he chose an area where he knew people were probably not going to be able to defend themselves with guns. So obviously, in, in my view, the, the solution would not be to make everywhere like that particular area where citizens are unable to defend themselves and to defend the innocent people around them. However, like I'm willing to come to the table and I'm sure other conservatives are too. Aren't you so tired of hearing of these? Like, aren't you so tired of hearing these stories? And I understand like legislation is not going to change someone's heart. And I don't want any restrictions that is going to inhibit a law abiding gun owner from being able to protect himself and to protect his family. But gosh, if there are solutions to this issue that allow people to exercise law abiding people to exercise their second amendment rights and also make it more difficult for someone with this history to get a gun. I'm for it. Like I'm willing to hear it. I don't think that we should immediately as conservatives, whenever we hear any solution or any proposed legislation that has to do with guns immediately say, no, no, no. I'm just not sure that that's the best approach. I want solutions. I want to save lives. I'm willing to come to the table and say, how can we balance protecting people's Second Amendment rights and also do something, anything that could potentially save people's lives so that someone like this is not able to at least legally access a gun? Really, it seems like he shouldn't have been able to with the particular past that he has had and the threats that he made towards a high school. And so there has to be something there, right? And I'm just, I'm willing to come to the table and talk about this. I think the problem is when it comes to these issues that we so quickly move past this particular case, we move past the tragedy, the crime that we're talking about, and we make it into something bigger. And we ascribe blame to one side, the people that we don't like, and we try to make it an issue that further advances an agenda. And that is what you saw in the responses. So immediately, immediately, we've already moved past the victims. You've already moved past the tragedy at hand. And left-wing activists have turned it into something that it's not by saying things that just aren't true. And here's why I think it's important to talk about this, because I know the reaction that I'm going to get, because I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about kind of, what people have been saying. Um, the reason why it's important is one, because the truth matters. And two, 
also um, because when we show selective outrage and when we say that one particular crime is indicative of like one huge, large, pervasive primary problem, when that's not true, when we don't show equal compassion and equal sadness to other similar crimes with different but equally heinous motivations that have happened, then we contribute to the cycles of chaos. So let me just be really explicit in what I'm saying. When you respond to something like this and you say, see, white supremacy is the main problem. See, this is mainstream Republican talking points. See, this is Tucker Carlson's fault. See, these are this is conservative's fault. See, this is conservative Christian's fault. See, we have to have anti-racism training. See, we need critical race theory. These are all reactions that I saw from blue check marks on Twitter. See, we need to, uh, you know, racism is the biggest threat to national security today. When you say all of that, then you're going to put everyone else on the defense rather than us coming together and saying, what caused this? Here's the evil in this scenario. Here are the victims in this scenario. Here are the motivations that we saw. How can we fix this problem? How can we honor these victims? Then you have turned this in to a political battle and you start saying things that simply aren't true, that simply aren't true. And then, uh, you end up in this kind of political partisan fight. So here's a little bit of what I'm talking about. Glennon Doyle says, this is a very important time for white evangelical people to repent of the racist, misogynist, gun-wielding, militant Jesus they created in their own image to cover all of their power-driven sins. That is freaking disgusting, Glennon Doyle. And so not surprising. It's so not surprising coming from someone like Glennon Doyle. You found a way, even though this person is not a Christian, even though this person, uh, as far as we know, doesn't go to church, doesn't serve Jesus, she found a way to make this about her primary enemy, which, by the way, isn't actually this white supremacist shooter, but is white evangelicals. So she is going to find every story of wickedness and somehow try to tie it into the people that she doesn't like. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't actually care about the tragedy. You don't actually care about the victims. Your ideology is guiding you and blinding you so much that you can't actually see what is real here. Of course, she's not the only one. Um, Michael Harriet said the reason this matters is because every time there is a racist terrorist that attacks people, we pretend it's an outlier and not something that is constantly repeating itself. He includes Kyle Rittenhouse and the MAGA mob in that Kyle Rittenhouse didn't murder anyone. It was self-defense to lump him in with this guy and Dylan Roof, again, is just anti-factual. And then Naveed Jamali says, we are witnessing the Kyle Rittenhouse effect. Again, Kyle Rittenhouse was attacked by two white guys at a riot in Kenosha where people were burning down buildings of innocent people. John Pavlovitz says, one of our political parties has shown more respect to Kyle Rittenhouse than President Biden that's what they really think about the tragedy today in Buffalo. What? Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis says, 18 years old and writing about white genocide before he went out to massacre black folks buying groceries. But tell me again how we don't need anti-racism education in schools. Anti-racism education as it is today creates bitterness and resentment and division and self-hatred and hatred of other people. It doesn't actually create um, any kind of lack of bias. It doesn't actually reduce any feelings of racism. 
all it does is tell people you are innately oppressed or innately oppressors. It doesn't offer any kind of solution to reconciliation and unity whatsoever. Dr. Eric Mason, popular in evangelical circles, says, when will this end? Him being 18 lets us know that racism hasn't ended. It's made its way into the next generation. People activate this racism. So I'll give you more of a reaction to that in just one second. I got to pause yet again and tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is Masterworks. So you guys need to be investing in artwork. This is something um, that hasn't been available to the average investor, but now it is. So I recently discovered that there's a special asset class that Ultra Rich has been hiding from us for over 42 years. It could potentially help you defend your wealth during Biden's siege on your retirement. And while most of the mainstream media hasn't reported what I call this freedom asset class, um, Fox News quietly called it among the hottest markets on earth. So I'm revealing the truth to you now to learn more about this freedom asset class and what it is. Go to masterworks.art slash Ali. Use my link and do some real research there. That's masterworks.art slash Ali. Masterworks.art slash Ali. See important regulation a disclosures at masterworks.io slash cd. So here's the deal here. It is totally fine for us to talk about white supremacy and to talk about its wickedness and to talk about the problems here. Like we should. This is an example where this is a clear motivation. It's clear what was going on. Now, in most cases where it's a white perpetrator and non-white victims, it's just assumed that it's white supremacy and racism, which I always think is wrong. That's judging something that you just don't know enough about. But in this case, we do know it. So I'm fine talk, you know, calling this guy a racist. He allegedly called himself a racist. I'm fine calling him a white supremacist and saying that this is white supremacy, saying that this is a problem, investigating into this issue and how this ideology is spreading. I am fine with Christians. Christians should be saying this is an anti-God unbiblical, wicked ideology that will always lead to destruction. I think that's right in this scenario. However, when you only highlight tragedies that have this kind of narrative, this kind of storyline, this kind of perpetrator and victim, and you've ignored the very recent and publicized mass shootings where the races are reversed, when you ignore Sacramento, when you ignore Waukesha, when you ignore a recent shooting in Houston, and these aren't necessarily racist reversed, but these are non-white perpetrators. When you ignored the supermarket mass killing that happened in Colorado a few months ago, only when the guy ended up uh, being Muslim, when you ignore the terrorist attack on the Capitol that killed a police officer in April of 2021, when you ignore the Brooklyn subway shooter and look, the, Bru the Brooklyn subway shooter and the Waukesha terrorist and the Capitol terrorist, they all had publicly espoused black nationalist, black supremacist, uh, black, black supremacist views. So racial hatred was a driving factor, probably behind these mass killings and the very same people saying, oh, it's always a white guy. It's always white supremacy. This is always the script. This is the number one problem. They didn't talk about those killings because it didn't fit their narrative. And I'm not trying to do what about because I'm not trying to diminish the seriousness, the severity of what happened in Buffalo. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's what a what about fallacy is when you're trying to look over here and say, well, this isn't that bad. Let me distract and 
diminish. So you can look over here. That's not what I'm doing. I'm pointing out hypocrisy and that selective outrage and just blatant lies. The idea that white supremacist terrorist is the number one taker of lives in this country or is the biggest threat to black America, that's simply factually, numerically inaccurate. And that should be good news, right? Like if you're not a partisan hack, if you're not someone that's just trying to stoke racial division and further hate, like that should be good news, right? That the numbers don't show that. But unfortunately, because people are more addicted to an agenda, they just want you to think one way and see things one way, they will blatantly lie to you and say that the biggest threat to black Americans are white supremacist terrorists. I'm not saying that's not a threat. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of that and highlight that and talk about that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't look at that at all. But don't lie. Don't only highlight the cases where there's a white perpetrator if you say that what you really care about is justice. If you really care about fairness, if you really care about the victims, if you're really trying to be compassionate. And yes, I had a back and forth with Beth Moore about this because she encouraged people to take off their political lenses, to stop being partisan, to tell the truth to yourself, to tell the truth to your neighbor. I agree with that. We should be talking about this. But look, when you choose to only highlight one kind of crime and not other kinds of crime because of the races involved, that is partiality. That's politics. That's not justice. I'm not saying that Beth Moore doesn't care about all kinds of murder. I'm sure she does care about all kinds of murder. But and I'm not asking people to comment on every single story and every single tragedy because I don't think that's a fair expectation. We don't have the capacity to do that. We're not called to do that. But we're talking about very recent and infamous and publicized mass shootings recently where there was a clear racial superiority motivation in Waukesha and in Brooklyn where these same people said absolutely nothing. You're only capitalizing on a certain kind of murder because you want the attention and the agenda that comes with that. That is what divides us. When we are, when we choose our selective, when we select our outrage based on race, we are actually contributing to racial division. Like we are actually contributing to hate. Like we are actually contributing to the vitriol that helps cause and foment a lot of the problems that we're talking about. So again, this is not about saying that we should not be talking about the white supremacy that was clearly at play here or that we shouldn't be focusing on the Buffalo shooter. But we should not allow our compassion, our outrage, our desire for justice to be swayed by the races of the people involved or what the mainstream media say. And the mainstream media, of course, they play into this. Of course, they play into this because there was a there was a mass shooting. Uh, yesterday in California and uh, a guy walked in, he shot up the church and I don't think anyone died. This was in Laguna Woods, California. And this apparently was an Asian man in his sixties. Did this get as much coverage? Did we hear about the problems with this, about the potential racial dynamics, the underlying issues that this is a problem of the Republican Party or any party. No, of course we didn't. The same thing. There was a shooting in D.C. a couple weeks ago, a mass shooting. And the guy had created like a Wikipedia for himself, a Wikipedia page for himself. He was clearly trying to be some kind of perverse vigilante. And he was not white. He was Asian. Of course, as I said, there was a Brooklyn subway shooter that happened in April. There was Waukesha. There have been several mass shootings recently, Houston, Sacramento, 
where the perpetrators have been non-white. And if we care about all victims, which I think we should, then we should at least try to be even handed in showing our outrage and compassion. Again, that doesn't mean you have to talk about every single issue to be counted as compassionate or fair. But if you are someone who is active on social media and you actively talk about justice and you actively talk about the sin and the evil and the wickedness that's in the world, if you're actively tweeting out headlines, it's gonna show when you only care about those headlines when the perpetrator is white. Again, that's not justice. That's just a form of partiality, all right? The reality is, is that the numbers just don't prove that uh, that very biased and partial and incomplete perspective on what the dangers are when it comes to the ideology pushing mass shootings. I'll cover that quickly in just one second. Let me tell you about our very last sponsor for the day, and that is Andy's Kit Clubs. You guys know that I love this sponsor. If you're home a lot this summer or if you're just home for a few weeks this summer and you know that your kids are going to want to come inside from the heat and be entertained somehow, but you don't want to just sit them in front of the screen, you need Annie's Kit Clubs. It's a subscription craft service for your kids. Every month you'll get different crafts, uh, woodworking, STEM projects, all different kinds of crafts that your kids can work on. It's perfect for kids aged 7 to 12. You sign up for the membership. You just pay month to month. You'll get everything you need in a box at your front door, supplies, instructions, and your child will be able to do this almost completely self-sufficiently. You can get down what you need to get done. They can get entertained, learn how to be creative problem solvers, critical thinkers. That's what we want. You can use my link, annieskitclubs.com slash Allie to get 75% off your first shipment. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for 75% off your first month, annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. So here's the reality, and I just want to cover this quickly. I just think that we need to know the truth about this. The fact of the matter is, if you look at the database of mass shooters, um, Mother Jones, which is a very left-wing outlet, they have a database of 121 mass shooters from 1982 to 2021. If you look at the percentage of mass shooters that each race accounts for and the percentage of their population, you will see that all races are really proportional, proportionate to the to their percentage of the population. So whites, 54.5% of mass shooters. They're 62.6% of the population. Native American, 2.5% of mass shooters, 1% of the population. Hispanic, 8.3% of mass shooters, 12.5% of the population. Uh, Black Americans, 17.4% of mass shooters, 12.3% of the population. So a little disproportionate there. And uh, Asian mass shooters, 6.6% of mass shooters, 3.6% of the population. Of course, this also depends on the definition of mass shooters. Mother Jones defines it as a single attack in a public space in which four or more victims were killed. If you lowered that, if you lowered that number to three or more, those numbers would change because that would include a lot of gang violence that we see across the country. So all of this is important context. That's not diminishing from what happened here, but I think it's important for us to know the truth. It's important for us to know the facts. Like when you are seeing the people that you are seeing highlight this and say that this speaks to our number one problem in the United States, that this is the biggest threat that we face, not only numerically is, is that 
not true. I mean, this is not what is primarily not even close victimizing black Americans. That's it's not even close to the number one threat to the life of black Americans. We can acknowledge that and know that while still having so much compassion for how our black friends must feel right now. I mean, no matter what the numbers are, like you can imagine the fear and the pain of seeing something like this play out on the news and fearing for your life and for the life of your kids. So I think that we absolutely can have compassion and acknowledge that while also saying that the misleading and partial headlines and tweets that we are seeing trying to blame the whole of the Republican Party, trying to blame Christians, trying to blame all white people or all non-progressive people, that that's hypocritical in light of other recent mass shootings and the lack of outrage about the recent mass shootings with different kinds of uh, animosity and different kinds of motivations. Like we'll remember the baseball field shooter from a few years ago that shot up a baseball field, almost killing Republican legislators. He literally said that the reason for doing so was because they were taking away health care. I mean, he repeated left wing talking points. And yet I didn't think it was right to blame Bernie Sanders for that or blame CNN for that. I mean, the some of the people, the Waukesha killer and the Brooklyn shooter repeated things that we have heard on left wing outlets like MSNBC. We have heard repeated by a lot of these left wing race activists. And yet I don't think it's fair to say that the violence is their fault. Look, we are contributing to the chaos. We are contributing to injustice. We are contributing to hate and division and just political madness when we are so selective with our outrage based on the race of the people involved. Again, that is not justice. And you're not helping your black friends by pushing that particular narrative. That is simply untrue. It is not backed up by the numbers. Look, we could get into if we had time, which we don't. This is a quicker episode. I've got to I've got to wrap up. We could get into the numbers if you wanted to. We could get into the races of the perpetrators and the victims and what violent crime and what murder and homicide those statistics look like in the United States. If we really cared, like if you really cared about what is actually victimizing people, what the threats are, like what the main sources of violence are, if we really wanted to protect black lives, if we really wanted to protect all lives, we could get into those statistics. But unfortunately, you have people who are more interested in pushing a particular narrative based on race, shaming people that they already didn't like based on no proof of any causal or any, uh, even any correlating relationship like between Republicans and this mass shooter. None of that is helpful. None of that is helpful. What we as Christians have to do is we have to, we all have our biases, okay? We all have our perspectives. We all have a particular angle that we're coming from. And that's fine. I know I do. I certainly do. I have a particular opinion and a particular perspective that I'm honest with you guys about. But we have to try to be even-handed. We have to try to be fair. We have to try to focus on the victims in all of these cases. Shouldn't we as Christians have equal hatred of any kind of ideology that spews racial superiority? Like, shouldn't we have equal outrage about that? Do you think God cares about murders that are motivated by white supremacy more than he cares about different kinds of murders with different kinds of motivations? Now, I don't think so. It seems to me like he cares when image bearers are murdered. He cares about the hate that is in our hearts. It seems to me like he would have equal compassion and equal outrage about those things. And I think that we should try as hard as we can 
to ensure that our outrage is impartial, that our compassion is impartial, that we're not only highlighting particular crimes because the race fits some kind of convoluted fear-mongering narrative that we have. May God grant us the grace to be wise and to be prudent and to be fair and as truthful as we possibly can in those things. Let me just finish by saying that there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of wickedness out in the world today. Um, Psalm 37, though, comforts me. It reminds me that one day evil, that wickedness will be no more, that we are not supposed to waste our time fretting about that, um, that God has every hair on our head numbered, that we are called to trust and obey. One of my favorite hymns, if not my favorite hymn, is this is my father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. So in all of this, I remember that we serve a sovereign God who is full of grace, full of truth, who is in control of all of it, who will enact perfect justice and righteousness. Let us do the best that we can to show compassion and love and to tell the whole truth and to pursue actual truth-filled impartial justice every chance that we get. All right. I know that was just a quick overview. I could have talked for an hour or more. Um, I hope that kind of shed light a little bit on what's going on and what my response is to it. We'll talk more about this um, the rest of the week. We've got a lot of good episodes coming up. I'll be back in the studio, so it'll look and sound better tomorrow. Thanks for bearing with me today, and I will see you guys back here then.